in its light, let us turn our worries into prayers for God to be present to us right now as we prepare for the coming of Christ. Let this candle of Advent joy shine in our hearts all week to remind us to pray and praise and place Christ at the center of this season. Well, we are walking through the season of Advent, that season waiting for the arrival both of the birth of Christ and the story as well as the coming rule of God in our own lives. And so we are trying to be on watch for how God is at work in the world and in our own lives. And today's question is about what does it mean to look for repentance? Uh, And that's both an external task of looking for repentance in others, but also an internal task. And so it kind of strikes me a little bit strange, maybe it struck you a little strange in this story, that it begins with John not being super receptive to the crowd who comes out uh, to do the exact thing that he's asking people to do. In Luke 3, verse 7, he says, it says, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's out in the wilderness preaching a message of, you need to repent and change, People show up to repent and change. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to come and to flee before the day of wrath? And that might feel a little strange, but it also kind of hits home uh, because I think many of us feel that same way at different points in our lives. I don't know who else has had the experience of reading a book or watching a movie in which the villain is this awful person and does all these bad things. And at the end, you you just want them to get him. Like, you want that villain to be defeated, destroyed, taken out. You don't want him to repent and change. Doesn't he deserve to get his judgment? Uh, And so we start rooting against that person and want to see them destroyed. Um, There was kind of a controversial and interesting discussion that happened about 10 years ago. There was a Christian conference that decided to advertise. They... um, they, they tried to promote, like, how do we think radically about how Christ is calling us to move in, in a way that is kind of countercultural? And so they commissioned an artist to make a painting to advertise the conference. And so Lars Justinen um, made this painting, and it was a modern imagination of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But what was different was instead of the disciples, it was world leaders from around the world. So there's Jesus washing the feet um, at that time. Uh, It had Angela Merkel, Tony Blair, Kofi Annan, George W. Bush, and then, most provocatively, Osama bin Laden. And that was what got people stirred up. Because if you want the most hated kind of enemy person, especially in 2007 or 8, that that was in our imagination, um, that would be that person. And so... It's interesting that the Christian university that the conference was going to be held at decided to cancel and say you can't use our space as there was this online argument back and forth about whether it was okay to imagine Jesus even being willing to wash someone like him's feet. Uh, And so they actually had to go to a secular venue, and the secular venue was okay with the scandalous image. Um, But the Christian 
community in that area wasn't. And I think when you think about that last night and Jesus washing Judas' feet, uh, we have a hard time seeing the possibility that God might still be merciful, might still accept repentance of our villains. And so John is standing there in the wilderness, seeing the people that he most is upset with, the people that he finds the most vile, people who should know better, people who should live rightly, who should be uh, living out God's calling, but are corrupting that system and are making life harder for people who are trying to follow God. And he sees these people and he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? I think we can feel that. That there's somebody that you might not necessarily be okay with seeing actually repent and turn. So maybe even, even John feels that with us. I, I can't help but hear this passage and think about uh, as a teacher, you'd have students who wouldn't come by for office hours all semester long, uh, never come by to ask for help, um, ask for clarity, and yet it's like the day before the final what, what, what's going on? How do I do this? What do I need to do? Like, it's a little late. Who warned you that the grading wrath was about to come? And what I appreciate about the ancient world is that teachers and students had a little bit of a different relationship. In today's world, it's about, do I know what I need to know so I can pass an exam? To, to, do I know what I need to know, you know to, to show some sort of information knowledge? Uh, but in the ancient world, a student was supposed to live out their education and their training. So um, the student who's trying to come to the teacher, to the rabbi, who says, how should I live? What should I do? You, you don't just need a little insight and a little bit of clarity about information. You have to live that thing out. And John, of course, really captures this because he's calling people to repentance, to a change of life. So you can't just come to John and just want a little bit of knowledge. John is going to challenge you to live differently. And so, repentance isn't about just believing the right thing and changing your mind about the right things, but it's about living the right things. And so Luke 3 verse 8 says, Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And I love that because repentance isn't just that formulaic expression, I'm sorry, and then you just move on. Uh, it's hard when you're tra training up kids because you're, you're like, well, I need you to at least learn that part of it. Or you can say, I'm sorry when you've done something wrong. But you can kind of see with kids, like, they don't really know. Like, they know that that's what they need to do to move forward. But whether they're actually fully sorry, whether they've actually repented is another issue. Uh, but that's true even when you become adults. Uh, that you also might say, I'm sorry, but you might not fully be transformed in that. And so, how do we get a more powerful repentance? One that turns towards something different, one that bears fruit of that difference? And I appreciate that for John, he's, he's trying to create a community out in the wilderness. He's baptizing them into this new movement. And so, your sins aren't just about you and God, but they're also about how they've harmed other people. So how do you how do we repent of that and start to live in a new way as a community and live as this new expression of godliness together? And so 
um, how do we have broken people come and ask for forgiveness and become a restored new community? Even people who seem like broods of vipers. I appreciate that this text also is aware that maybe some people become complacent and they become comfortable with where they're at. And in this text it says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. We can't take things for granted. Uh, So they might have become comfortable saying, well, you know, uh, I'm an ancestor of Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. I'm safe. I have this right relationship with God. I'm not too worried about myself. And maybe Christians have a, a similar kind of thing. Well, you know, I I said a prayer at one point. I was baptized at one point. But, you know, I'm okay. God's fine with what I'm doing, no matter what I'm doing. Uh, And and John is pushing you to think a little bit more about that. That, uh, kind of pointedly, you think of yourselves as children of Abraham. Maybe you're children of vipers. Uh, He's a little bit more passionate about that. Um, But how do we live worthy of that title? To be children of Abraham and that faith that Abraham had? To be children of God? Where our lives model out what God has called us to be? And a little bit like the broods of vipers, who are the stones, the inanimate things that we don't think are even having life? Uh, Those people that we just ignore, that we don't think, oh, they're not children of God. Who might be transformed and be renewed and become children of God? And so we shouldn't take those things for granted. We shouldn't take for granted that we have everything right, that God is always on our side. And why should we do this right now? Luke is very urgent. We've seen a little bit of that in the last few weeks. He says, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I want to note that, like, that sounds pretty morbid and kind of hard, but I think there's something life-giving that's meant behind this. Uh, God is not going to allow uh, the rottenness to prevail. That corruption and lifelessness, like, that's not going to survive, but you tear down those old trees so you can plant new ones. That new life can spring forth where there was nothing and where there was barrenness. And so he's saying, for yourselves, look inward. How much are we trees that aren't bearing fruit or how much are we the good fruit-bearing trees? And so the crowds, I think, have a good question. Well, what do I do? How do I know if I'm bearing the fruit of repentance? That's a Perfectly understandable follow-up question. And I love that John the Baptist gives very specific advice to different people. Luke 3, 10 through 14 says, And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. Whoever has food must do likewise. And even the tax collectors came to be baptized, And they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? 
And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. I love that, again, like it's almost like childlike messages, how we have to keep hearing them. Because that first message is, you need to share. And you think about kids, hey, it's uh, um, show and share, which I think is our newer expression for uh, uh, show and tell. They used to say show and tell, where you'd come and you'd bring your favorite thing and you'd tell everybody about it. And now it's, no, let's show and share. Bring your favorite thing and let other people see it, play with it, experience it. Uh, And so we try to get our kids to learn how to share. And again, that's not a thing that goes away. We continue to have to figure out how to learn how to share. And so he says, if you've got two coats, you must share with someone who has none. And I know that's a hard saying. Uh, If you watch any HGTV shows when they show closet sizes, there's a lot of coats that can fit in a good closet. And there's a lot of people without coats. Um, And so, how are we people that show the fruit of repentance that is sharing with our community? And I appreciate that our our congregation has been um, sharing very, very generously with our community, whether that's uh, with our personal care, uh, whether that's also just kind of sometimes odds and ends that we bring to people that they can have at uh, personal care that isn't even the normal um, items whether that's the blessing box or the food pantry that you can sign up for uh, outside. Um, But there's always more ways to share. And so how do we look at what we have and instead of trying to hold on tightly, how do we look for other ways to share and support those in need? There's a famous 4th century uh, early Christian, St. Martin of Tours. Uh, who was in modern-day France, and he was famous because he was a soldier, and he was going around, and he found someone who was kind of uh, in, in great poverty with nothing. He didn't have a cloak. And so Martin of Tours took his uh, soldier dagger and tore his soldier cloak in half and gave the other half to the beggar. And that night, he said that he had a vision of Jesus wearing that half cloak, thanking him for clothing him. Now there's a couple variations on the ending of that story, Um, one of which has him wake up and the cloak miraculously fully restored. Uh, And there's a little bit of power in that, of the idea of you can share, tear it up, give out what you have, and there always will be enough. It'll be restored. And that kind of pushed Martin into a life of ministry and he left his soldiers calling and he felt like he couldn't live that duty anymore and he went and he ended up becoming a bishop. And a strange thing happened though that the Christian tradition around this cloak became such that people thought it was miraculous and used it as a relic to take into battle with you. Which I think completely defeated the purpose of the sharing and the beauty of that image of Martin's original um, story. But how do we see the person in need and share radically 
I think that's what's so powerful about the Martin image is just even tearing it in half uh, and multiplying the clothing. The story also has people that have power, tax collectors and soldiers, asking, well, what do we do? And the message is, don't abuse your power. Treat people fairly. For the tax collector, um, in that kind of world, it'd be a little bit like contractors who would take bids and say, hey, uh, Rome, I could get you this amount of money if you'll you know, pay me this much. And so they're competing, and so they've kind of you know, undercut their own selves, and so they have to figure out how to make a profit, and so they just start charging people a little bit more on the other end. And so the teaching is, hey, stop. Only give, only take what you need to. Stop taking more than you need. And for the soldiers who under the threat of power and violence could take whatever they wanted, he tells them don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, but be satisfied with your wages. Think about that, like just how do you be satisfied with your wages? Satisfied with the aim that all would become satisfied, that we might share that the whole community might be satisfied together. And so there's this beautiful image of John in the wilderness, maybe a little begrudgingly about the kinds of people that are showing up to repent, saying, hey, we can live by a new way where we treat people fairly, where we share what we have. And he wants to remind them, though, that there's something even greater. In Luke 3, 15 through 17, it says, as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. He, he was a little bit not sure about his audience, but they, were, they weren't sure about him. And they were actually kind of lofty thinking about him. It goes on to say, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And I think there's something powerful in this image. John's working with water, which is cleansing, which kind of clears yourself of the external, the grime of everyday life and the stuff outside of you. But then we get this fire image in relationship to Jesus, one that can burn off things, that can burn uh, the, the rotten parts of, um, parts of the field. And so you might be quick to think about this as some people are wheat that are going to get um, taken in to be bountiful, and some people are just burned up. Uh, but I want to at least challenge us to think in, a, in another way this morning. Maybe we are all a little bit of both of that. Of maybe we are all... Um, have elements of godliness and purity and of beauty and goodness, but have a little bit of parts of us too that aren't bearing fruit, that aren't living up to what we can be. And God might even in our own lives lift up that part of us that is beautiful and celebrate it, but also have some bit of purifying fire to, to remove that part of us that's still corrupt, that's still uh, hanging on, uh, 
that doesn't want to share, that doesn't want to be fair, that doesn't want to treat those fairly. And so maybe, maybe today God is wanting to purify us. Maybe we are a field that needs to bear fruit. Maybe we um, have that seed of God that we want to put in the soil and we want to cultivate. We want the sun to shine on it. We want the rain to come and to cultivate it on us. We want a little bit of purifying fire, as hard as that is. But eventually we want to bear fruit. And fruit is not selfish. It shares. Uh, It not only brings joy when you get to eat it, but it also spreads that joy by sending seeds out into the world that grow more trees and more fruit. And so the gospel is good news of repentance, which sounds a little bit strange. Good news, like we don't usually associate repentance and good news together. But in the end of this chapter, it says, at the end of this verse, it says, with many other exhortations, exhortations, let us do this, let us do that. With many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. The good news comes with, let us do, fill in the blank. It's a call to action. It's a call to live life in a new way. It's not just a call to believe certain things, but to live them out. And so John is calling us this morning uh, to live by the good news and to trust that the good news will bring out life and that sharing that there will be enough. And so maybe we'll just be those fruit trees overflowing that plant new life in others even those we least expect, even those maybe we don't even want to see repentance in sometimes, even the most grumpy, vile, seemingly rotten soul soul, might be refined and regrown into something more. And so let us be mindful of those deadened, unfruitful parts of ourselves as we pray. Lord, help us to be mindful of where you are moving in our lives. Help us to be mindful of your power to change us, to transform us. Let us be um, softened in our hearts. Help us to find ways to share with others, ways to care for others. Uh, Lord, help us to use our power for good and for charity and not just for ourselves. And it's in your most gracious name I pray. Amen.